0: Amen. How important is prayer? I love it. When we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. How many know God can do things we cannot do? And so I always appreciate it when people pray, and I'm excited that our church is moving more and more in that direction all the time. I think we'll see greater and greater things as we cry out to God. I'm going to have you stand this morning as we do pray. And I believe God wants to do the supernatural today. How many are saying, Pastor, I want to come in agreement with your prayer right now. I want to believe God that he's going to do miracles in people's lives today. And I'm standing here. How many of you actually need a miracle? Just raise your hand. You need a miracle. Okay, we're going to pray for that miracle today. Father, we thank you that you do things that we cannot do. And so our eyes are upon you this morning. We believe that you are greater than our problems. We believe that there are no limitations with you, Father. You can do what seemingly, humanly speaking, seems impossible. But you do those things. We're witnesses of them. And I pray today that miracles will just flow. I, I, I believed all the morning. We've been praying. We've been asking, Lord. Supernatural elements would happen in the service. I pray that you would bring salvation, deliverance, healing, restoration in relationships, Lord, financial provisions, Lord, all of the needs that we have. There's emotional needs, there are mental needs, there are spiritual needs, every need, Father, that we would be invaded this morning, as they were on the day of Pentecost, that your spirit would come, that you would invade our hearts this morning, and that we would have an Isaiah experience that we could say on this day, as Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I pray today we will see you. I pray we will be changed by this encounter, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. I believe we can have... Life-changing experiences in the house of God. I've experienced them in my own life. A number of years ago, East we uh, received as a church uh, uh, some booklets. We actually ordered it as a board. East Stanley Jones. Uh, many of you probably don't know his name, but if we were living in a different time, he was actually on the cover of Time magazine. That tells you how famous he was. He was a missionary in England, India and had an amazing impact in our world. And one of my friends in the publishing industry, Dean Merrill, actually took some of his material and updated it so that we could understand it in this generation. And it was published, and the publisher approached me and said, hey, I'm prepared to sell you hard, co- hard copy devotionals for $5 U.S. And so our church board made a motion, and we bought 500 devotionals. A number of years ago, we handed them out to you for free. Anybody remember that? Some of you, vague, there's this vague familiarity with that, but some of you received that. East Jones in his book, The Way, says, Negativism or retreatism is a road that gets you nowhere. There are three possible attitudes regarding reality. Many people try to escape it, some try to rebel against it, and others just flow with it or cooperate. But most people do not want to just, you know, relate to their present existence. Most people that try to fight it end up losing. And so for the majority of our culture, we try to escape it. And we, there's a lot of forms of escapism today. How many know that we, we travel a lot, we watch TV, we do all kinds of things to escape what we would call life's daily grind. Isn't that true? We find ways to escape Reality. Of course, most of it is entirely subconscious, or we're not conscious of it. For the self would not try to escape reality unless, it, unless they could think they could do so by some measure of self-respect. And so there's a sense of self-justification that takes many forms, how we escape reality. I'll give you an example. Sometimes we even allow illness to help us escape reality. Now, I'm not suggesting that all illness is a form of escapism, but... There is a moment sometimes in our lives where we actually don't even realize it. Subconsciously, our body kicks in and says, I can't cope with this, and we just break down so we don't have to address it. There was a very conscientious man. who was given a job that was you know, beyond his capacity. That's not his fault. That was probably the people over top of him. But every time he came into a position in that job where it was overwhelming him, he immediately was unable to breathe. He contracted asthma. And it wasn't that he was like, trying to produce asthma, just that that was the response his body had toward that experience. Now, this was happening to him unconsciously, so he had to provide with himself a reason for not being able to address the challenge before him. It's actually been estimated that over 80% of the heart problems in World War I, servicemen were wrongly diagnosed, resulting in discharge from active duty. You know, people under the stress of battle would want to flee, but, you know, obviously you don't want to let your uh, people and your platoon and your group down. And so all of a sudden there was so much stress on their heart that, and they were so troubled they would go to their sick bay and because of the tremendous chest pain and were justified by being dismissed from the responsibility in, in, in the battle. So, how do we cope with the challenges that life presents to us? How do we deal with things? That overwhelm us. That's a question I'm raising today. Now, for years I've heard the comment that God does not give us more than we can handle. How many have ever heard that comment? God never gives us more than we can handle. Now, how many dislike pat answers? Anybody dislike them? You know, like people are really quick at giving you this what I call a superficial pad answer to your problem. anybody dislike that? Okay, that's good. I think we ought to dislike those things because I think sometimes you know we want to help people but sometimes we just give them a quick answer but i believe that that statement is not quite true i think it's a misapplication of a biblical text and this is what i mean in 1 corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 it says no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and god is faithful that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear you see the context of god not letting you have something more than you can handle is actually in the context of temptation. Okay? Everybody follow that? And then it says, but when you are tempted, we'll also provide a a way out so that you can stand up under it. So I think that that's the context in which we can say, God's not gonna let you be tempted beyond your ability to handle it. God will always help you know that there's a right way of handling that temptation. There's a way out if we look to him. However, how many have ever had moments in your life where you thought, I'm just not coping? Uh, This is beyond my ability to handle the problem. This is like above my pay grade, so to speak. And I, and I think that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about that in his own life. Now, how many think that Paul the Apostle is probably a very competent leader? Anybody see that? Very dynamic person, but he writes something that I think is very insightful. And he says it this way, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Here's the phrase I want you to notice. Beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. I want you to notice the expression. Beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. What's he saying there? He's saying that God was letting us experience something that was above our pay grade. It was, it, we weren't able to handle it. We, we actually we, we, we wanted, we didn't even want to go on. We, we didn't even want to live. We just didn't feel like we could put one foot in front of another. Some of you have gone through moments like this in your life where you have despaired to the point where you thought, I don't even know if I can continue to live. I don't know if I can continue on in the situation I'm in. Paul's talking about this. Now, this is a whole different situation. Now, why would God do that? Everybody ever ask that question? You know, like, why is God letting me have this experience right now in my life. Anybody ever ask God, why me? And why is this happening to me? And like, I am trying to do the right stuff here, God. Why is my world just falling apart? Why is there so much pressure in my life at this time? Anybody, ask, anybody here ever ask that question? God, why? And Paul's gonna give us an answer in the very next verse. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened... That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So what's the answer? Why, why does God let this kind of critical situation come into our life? He's trying to move us away from self-reliance. Anybody ever rely on themselves? Come on. A lot of you are not telling me the truth. You know, Proverbs tells us, trust in the Lord with all of our heart. I'm in chapter three today, Proverbs three. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. How many here, you have to honestly admit, at a time or two, you've leaned to your own understanding? Anybody here? Oh, there's a few more hands going up. See? You've leaned to your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. He says us, I want you to trust me in this. But it's hard to do that You know, because why is God doing this? If we continue to rely on ourselves rather than God, he knows that we're eventually going to falter and fall. That's why he's trying to break us of that bad default switch inside of us. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to learn how to trust me. And the best way to get us to do that is put so much pressure, allow so much pressure to come into our lives. We're beyond coping, you know, I've had moments and I've just said, okay, God, here's the deal. This is beyond my pay grade. This is your problem. I'm just letting you know that. I'm the pastor of the church, but we have these issue. But you know what? I'm going to just let you know, these are your people. They're your problem. You fix it. Isn't that good? It takes a lot of pressure off the pastor. You know, I, I told him a long time ago, I'm just your servant. You're the leader here. You just tell me what you want to do, and if you don't tell me, I'm just not going to do anything until you tell me, because I don't want to mess with what you're doing. This is very important. I don't want to just try to figure this out. I am an extremely analytical person. Believe me, when things happen, my mind starts to immediately go to work trying to figure it out, but then I have to sit down and say, okay, this is beyond my pay grade. I'm just going to trust God. You're going to have to handle this because I don't know what to do here. It says here in Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in himself is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Now, you know, when we look at that word fool, there we're keeping thinking, well, you know, he was trusting in himself is stupid. No, it's not, that's not the idea. He who trusts in himself is a person that doesn't trust God. That's what he's talking about here. If you're trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in God. That's what you and I need to understand from this text. And God is trying to get us to learn to put dependency upon him because that's the definition of true humility. Humility is not self-depreciation. That's what we think it is, but it's not. Humility is a recognition of our spiritual poverty and our inadequacy and a need to depend on God. And when you're a really humble person, you've learned to trust God for everything. You recognize that he's, He sees the future. You and I don't see the future. He knows what's going on inside of people. You don't know that stuff. God knows everything that's happening. He knows what the world, where it's gonna go. You and I have no idea. We may think we know, we don't. He knows these things. If we'll trust him, he'll take us down the right path. You know, last week I focused in on the need to embrace wisdom. And I got through point one. So what I'm gonna do today is touch on point two and move into point three, which is really the sermon today. Not only, uh, I talked about really the embracing of wisdom, the essence of wisdom is trusting God. Let me move on to point number two briefly. Not only is it wisdom to learn to trust God, it's wisdom that brings meaning into our life. You know, a lot of people, you know, are trying to find significance and meaning in life. Can I just say this? you will never find true meaning and significance apart from God. It comes from knowing him. That's the most important thing. As a matter of fact, it says here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18, she is a tree of life. Speaking of wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Now, the tree is a symbol in the Bible. and we, It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter you know, 3. There's two trees in the garden. And we have this alternative. Adam and Eve could, could pursue moral autonomy offered by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a set phrase in the Old Testament. I, I'm quoting Daniel Trier. And he says, thereby suffering the penalty of death or else continue to receive life as a gift from God's guiding hand. So how many see that in the garden there was only two options? Either eat from the tree of life or eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? How many see that? See, I think we are deceiving ourselves in our culture to think there's all these options. No, there's only two options. You either trust God or you trust yourself. You see, either trusting God or you trust what you think is more significant than God. You can trust other people, you can trust government, you can trust science, you can trust technology, but I'm going to just argue today that all of those things are going to let you down somewhere down the road. See, you and I need to have wisdom. Wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. We have to trust God. That's what he's pointing us to. Now, what happens when they sin? God said, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Now, we could argue and say, yeah, but they didn't die, Pastor. They were still walking around talking. Yeah, but something happened that changed when they, when they ate of that tree. How many know that? Something did die. You say, what died? Their relationship with God. Their understanding of what they had before. As a matter of fact, they knew now they were naked. They moved towards self-autonomy rather than God-dependency. They clothed themselves and they hid from God. Already now, there's a separation from God. There's a loss of intimacy with God and with each other. Why is that? Because they move from intimacy with God and from each other to distance from God and blaming one another. You see, that's exactly what happens when sin enters the human relationship equation. You know what? We, we're, we're distant from God. And instead of you know, having community and union and fellowship and harmony and peace and blessing, what do we have? Conflict, disunity, blame, fault-finding, criticism, gossip. How many are beginning to see that all of those things bring a destructive element into human relationships? And we're seeing so much polarization in our country. We see fragmentation in people's lives, and that's because we're moving away from dependency on God. <clears throat> the relationship, which had never known conflict, now experiences distance and separation. How many say that's tragic? Jesus promises us life, and when we come to him, He is life, and we can expect that the things that make life worthwhile begin to materialize. Real life begins with intimacy with God, and then it creates this enriching, healthy, flourishing relationships. That's exactly what starts happening. You know, the third thing that happens, so point number one in my sermon last week was if you embrace wisdom, it's... To understand it means you trust God. Number two, you find meaning in life, which is intimacy with God and healthy human relationships. Point number three, and this is the sermon today, is that you and I discover that wisdom is a protection. Wisdom is a shield. Wisdom will guard our lives. Wisdom will help us from all kinds of problems. You see, three areas that wisdom protects us from. Number one, moral failure. When we trust God rather than our own and doing our own thing, it spares us the pain of sin's consequence. Just think of all the pain that entered into the world because Adam and Eve sinned. Could you imagine if they had never done that? What would have happened? Well, their two sons would still be alive. They'd all be alive. But what happened is they opened the door to that, and then all of a sudden you have jealousy, envy, hatred, murder, you know, when we allow God to determine our steps and guard our lives, rather than taking things into our own hands, we can have a quiet confidence that God's going to lead you to exactly where you need to get to. It's so beautiful. You know, we're all trying to take shortcuts. But, you know, to grow in your relationship with God, you've got to eliminate that thinking. There are no shortcuts, guys. You know what you need to do? You just take one step in front of the other, you obey God on a daily basis, and God takes you to places you never dreamed you would go to. You know, I've been around the world. How did I get there? God. Did I plan on it? No. Did I even desire it? No. I didn't even think about it. That was beyond my scope of imagination when I was a young person. I was just trying to survive. But God had a plan. And as you and I walk with God, things begin to develop in our lives way beyond our understanding. And when we do what God wants us to do, we're always doing what is in the best interest, not only of ourselves, but of the people around us and so many other people. We bring life into the situations we come into. Here we hear what happens when we walk in wisdom. Our steps are secure. Proverbs 3:23 says, "Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble." Is that amazing? Now, I read somewhere recently that when you turn 65 and are older, one-third of older people fall down. They fall. They lose their balance and fall, and they're injured. Now, I want to just say this. When you're walking with God in obedience, you don't fall. How many think that might be helpful? And if you don't fall, you don't get injured. And too many people today are getting injured morally, emotionally, relationally, psychologically, physically, so many different ways. The wise person avoids sin because they realize the destructive nature of it. One of the great problems... Often I see is that we may profess faith in Christ, but then we try to get God and others to fulfill our agenda. You know, we're we're trying to get rather than doing what God wants, we have our own game plan, and we're trying to get God on our plan. How many know that doesn't work? You know, folks, God can't be manipulated. He cannot be coerced into doing what we want. You know what you have to do? You have to get like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You have to lay down your agenda. Okay, and I'm going to just argue with you here. Your agenda is paltry compared to God's agenda. Your agenda has really no real dynamic to it. It's very self-seeking for the most part, and it's all about trying to be secure. Can I tell you, that's, that's a very shallow way to live life. God has a better plan. It's far more exciting. It's a great adventure. And you and I need to lay that agenda down and just say, okay, God, what do you really want in my life? I think we have to find out who God is and embrace his values and walk in his purposes. So when we trust in ourselves, we can expect failure. But when we depend on God, we're kept safe. You know, the apostle Peter discovered this in his life. You know, Jesus is now ready to be crucified. He's talking to his disciples, and he makes this statement, Listen, all of you guys are going to mess up here. You're just not ready for what's about to happen you're actually going to experience that experience that Paul talked about. This is beyond your pay grade. You know, this is a situation that is above you. But if you want to be prepared for it, you need to watch and pray. What were these guys doing? They were so heavy with sorrow, they were sleeping. And so in the upper room, Jesus is talking to Peter. And and it's interesting. Notice how Luke frames it for us. He said, Simon, Simon. How many already catch on something's changed here? He's not calling him Peter, which is, you know, rock. He's calling him Simon. Simon was his previous name, and it was like, you know what, Peter? You're operating out of the old nature. You know, Simon, listen, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, how many know that if you're in an agrarian society, especially in the ancient time, when they're sifting wheat, what do they do? They actually take, you know, some fork or something and they throw it in the air, and the wind comes along and blows away the chaff, and then the grain falls to the ground. It's a sifting process so that what has substance remains and what is without substance is blown away. God is interested in taking the things out of our lives that are just chaff. And all of us in this room, we have chaff in our life. And so God allows testings to come into our life just like this process of sifting. Jesus is telling Peter, listen, Satan is God's agent right now is gonna sift you. He's the fork thrower. Okay, that's his little lowly job right now. Everyone goes, well, Satan, he's so strong. No, he's just a tool God's gonna use to remove the chaff out of Peter's life. Now watch the conversation. Jesus says, oh, listen, Peter, I've prayed for you. How many are glad that Jesus is praying for you right now? Do you realize every child of God, Jesus is praying for you on a daily basis? I can't think of a better person praying for you. You know, That's better than anybody on the planet. Jesus is praying, and he's praying for all of us. And he says, I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus is praying for the right thing, but he knows that Peter, who has a will, is going to mess up in the story because he knows ahead of time what's about to happen. But he says, I know you're going to turn back and then you can strengthen other people because there's some things in your life, Peter, that got to go, okay? Now, I think it's fascinating. Jesus goes on. Uh, Peter's response is, oh, listen, he's arguing with Jesus, How many go, that's probably not a wise decision? you know. We're going to tell God what to do. And we do it all the time. And Peter's doing the same thing. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Now, I think deep in his heart, Peter felt like, you know, I I think Peter's a courageous guy, and I think he thinks he's going to do this. You know, he purposes to do it. He's got it in his mind to do it. He's locked into it. He's been warned now. You think, wow, he's prepared to do this. But how many know when the moment comes, he's not ready for the moment? Because sometimes in the firing line, it's a little more intense than we realize. And Peter was not ready for what was about to happen. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times that you knew me. I I just see Peter. Listen, And, you know, it's interesting because I'm going to turn to Mark's gospel. And I've been reading from Luke. Mark's gospel, many scholars believe it's Peter's gospel because Peter's telling Mark what's going on. So here's what Peter tells Mark Peter said, Even if all fail, fall away, I will not. In other words, listen, Jesus, I'm the, I'm the guy you can count on here. I don't know about these other characters in the room, they may mess up, but you can count on me, Jesus. Isn't that great? You know, Peter really believes he's going to make it. He's locked in, right? Who is Peter trusting in? Thank you, he's trusting in himself. And folks, when you and I trust ourselves, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Jesus is pointing this out to Peter. You're gonna fail, you know. Now, everybody knows what happens. Peter messes up, you know, and he's at the third time he's denying that he ever knew Jesus. He's in the courtyard. Luke's uh, Mark's gospel says and Jesus looked at Peter at the third denial and the rooster's crowing and the, immediately Peter realizes everything Jesus said was right I was totally wrong and he was so crushed it says he wept he was broken he repented which is powerful now Peter's a little older in life what's Peter's attitude now when he writes his letter all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because why? God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Two things here. One, Peter had the experience to say, don't trust yourself. You're going to be disappointed in yourself, okay? Peter is quoting, actually, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. Here, here I'm going to... Set it in its context. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows for the the humble to the humble and to the oppressed. He shows grace to them. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. Peter realized that his pride led him into his fall. His self-dependency led him to be Sucked in by the sifting of the enemy. Let me move on to the second area that wisdom protects us from, and that's sudden fear. Wisdom allows our soul to rest and not live in turmoil. Whenever we learn to trust God, we're not governed by fear and not tormented by anxiety. This culture today is extremely filled with anxiety. This is a very anxious culture, folks, and we're affected by all of these anxieties. And we're overwhelmed by all of the information coming at us, and it's all designed to create us to lose heart. And a lot of people are losing heart today, a lot of anxiousness in people's lives. Listen to what Proverbs 3 teaches us. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. How many people say it's amazing? You know, a lot of people can't sleep anymore because they've got anxieties. They can't let their mind shut off. There's so many things going on. Listen, when you you begin to meditate on the word of God, things start to change in your life. We'll talk about that in a moment. But listen what happens. We We don't have to live with fear coming upon us. Listen to verse 25. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. In other words, you're not going to be trapped. You know, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have to worry about things. You're not always looking over your shoulder, when is this going to catch up to me? No, you're living the right way. You can go to bed at night. You can sleep at night. you got a clean conscience. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, the disciple of Jesus said it this way in 1 John four eighteen. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out Fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. We need to understand something. God loves us. Some of us in this room, we question that. We question that because we're having experiences in our life that seem difficult, and so we question, does God really love me? You know, if I could just say one thing, if you could just settle this in your heart and mind, it would, it would eliminate a lot of anxiety in your life. Number one, just say this to me. God is good. Yeah, he's good all the time. Number two, his love endures forever. Okay, God is good and his love endures forever. And who does he show his love to? To the covenant people of God. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a covenant person of God, you are God's kids. You're his children. And he's watching over us. And so anything that comes my way has to be filtered through the goodness and love of God. So if something happens, and I don't understand what's going on, I just remind myself God is good and he's loving. And then I think of Romans 8.28. It says there, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So God is actually using. Even the challenging moment, sometimes you'll let sifting come into our life, you'll let tests come in, you'll let challenges. But God's goodness is underneath, and His kindness and His love are there. We have to have that confidence, and it eradicates all anxiety and all fear because God's in control of what's going on in my situation. E. Stanley Jones makes these insightful observations about fear. He said, "The first road with a dead end is fear." It's true that fear may have useful biological ends. It makes the frightened deer alert and fleet. It makes the surgeon skillful to see danger that it might arise if the wrong thing is done. It makes the soul alert lest it hurt itself through wrong choices. So fear harnessed to constructive ends may be constructive, but when fear uses us and controls us, it's bad. It becomes our master and turns us into dead ends. Fear has three problems. It produces disease, disease, It paralyzes efforts and it's useless. He goes on to say there are structural diseases that are real and there are contagious diseases and they too are real. But the consensus of medical opinion is that from 40 to 60% of diseases are rooted in wrong attitudes of mind and spirit. That is very strong. What's he saying? You know, sometimes when we live with anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, it's destroying our bodies. That's what we're talking about here. He says, one doctor said that 85% of his patients don't need medicine. They need to change their mental and spiritual attitudes. These people are passing on the sicknesses of their minds and souls to their bodies. So let's get our heads in the game. Is that what I'm talking about? We We need to overcome this stuff in our lives. The two fears born within us are the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Some psychologists that examined 500 people found that they had about 7,000 fears. We need to realize that fear is self-centered and faith is God-centered. That's E. Stanley Jones. I'm just quoting him. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm, gonna, I'm your pastor. Let's acknowledge, okay, I have this fear. Okay? I'm gonna tell you what I've done with my fears and my anxieties and my sin. I take them before a loving Savior and I say, Lord, these are the things that are troubling me. I don't want them to trouble me. I'm bringing them to you. I wanna be delivered from these things. I wanna be healed from these things. I wanna grow past these things. So begin to guide my heart and mind and my steps so that these things no longer dominate my life. There's nothing wrong with admitting to God you need help. He already knows that we're struggling with these things. And I'm going to encourage us to do that, and we'll do that at the end of the service. Let me move on to the third area, which is folly. Wisdom protects us from folly. You say, well, what's the difference between failure and folly? Failure sometimes is just our self-dependency. But I think folly is actually moral perverseness. It's when we deviate into sin. It'll keep us from actually doing that. We can actually stay on the narrow path. We can actually not deviate and go either to the right or to the left. Jesus says, no, stay on the path. You know, this is the safe path. Yes, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's a hard path, but stay on the path. The Bible simply defines sin as breaking God's laws. That's one definition. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, I want to just say something right now. Our culture today is advocating lawlessness. That's what they want, no law. It's it's a very antinomianism concept. Everything is God's grace will cover it. Everybody's good. Everybody's okay. You know, let's just go ahead and do what we want to do. But let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to destroy us. Because the nature of sin is self-destruction and it destroys not only ourselves but everybody around us. It's just the nature of the thing. A matter of fact, uh, if we keep God's ways, it'll protect us even from you know, the snares that are set before us. Listen to what Proverbs 6.20 says. And we can change the genders here. My son and daughter, keep your father or mother's commands and don't forsake their teachings. You know, bind them always on your heart, fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they'll speak to you. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Listen very carefully. When you and I meditate on God's word day and night, this is what we should be doing. What should we be thinking about? What do we normally think about? We think about the things we have to do. Or we think about the problems that we have. Or we think about the show we want to see. Or we think about this thing or that thing. What should we be thinking about? Why don't we think about what God thinks about? Why don't we let our minds meditate on the word of God? See, so when you're walking, if you have the word of God inside of you, what does it say it's going to do? It's going to guide you. How many think guidance is pretty important in life? Anybody think that might be important? How many would like to be guided by God? Well, put the word of God inside of you. Start meditating on it. Think about it. Then it says, when you sleep, they will, it will watch over you, and when you wake, they will speak to you. You know, I'm going to tell you, some of you have a hard time sleeping. I'm going to give you a little assignment here today. I want you to try this. I want you to memorize a number of very meaningful scriptures, and when you lie down, I want you to start repeating and thinking about those texts, meditating on those texts. I'll give you a good one, Psalm 23. I love that one. I'll meditate on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll just say it this way, the Lord. First of all, it's the Lord. There's no other Lord but him. He's the Lord of lords and king of kings. The Lord is my, personal. This is my shepherd. He's my leader. He's the one that's gonna provide for me. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not have to want. I won't be in want. I don't have to be anxious right now. I have a shepherd. I'm the sheep. I can be stupid. He's gonna be smart. He's gonna take care of me. I don't have to worry about all this stuff. This is above my pay grade. Stop sweating this stuff. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Good thing, because I want to run around and be restless, amen? You know, I start thinking like this. You know, before I'm done Psalm 23, I'm in the sweet by and by. Because you know... (laughs) When you start meditating on the word of God, it does something to your heart and mind. It brings peace in your spirit, and I'm sleeping. By the way, when you're meditating on the word of God, you might wake up thinking about the word of God. How many think it's amazing when you wake up and you're thinking about the things of God? I had an amazing dream last night. I didn't want to get up, because I I didn't want the dream to end. You go, what were you dreaming, Pastor? I was dreaming that a church that was in decline was being resurrected from the dead. And I was a part of God's resurrection work. I was watching God see lives being transformed and empowered. And I was, I was so excited. I go, I don't want to ever wake up. This is so amazing what God is doing. And then I woke up and I said, okay, let's just go do this in our church, Lord. Let's just have the spirit of the supernatural, resurrected God raise people from the dead, deliver them from their anxieties and fears and all of their distresses and trouble, bring healing to their afflicted, sick bodies, bring restoration in their marriages. Hallelujah. How many are saying, I'm with you, pastor, to see people come into God's kingdom, people that we love who are living self-destructive lives and who are living in addiction? And I just started praying, oh God bring this to pass even while I'm watching you do this work but sin isn't only what we do it's also what we don't do we know that's true you know it says here the command is the lamp this teaching is a light correction and instruction are the way to life sometimes God has to rebuke me sometimes God has to correct me you know a good thing how many are glad when God corrects you I've had moments when God's warned me. He said, hey, if you continue on this path, you're heading in for the wrong direction, and you have a choice now, and you can make this choice. And then it says here, you know, there's the sins. You know, you know why people don't see themselves as sinners? Because they don't see what they're doing as being bad. But sin isn't only what we do wrong, sin can also be what we're not doing right. Wow, there's the sins of, of uh, com- uh, commission, omission. Well, let me go back here. This is one that's interesting. Do you know when you're following the, the corrections of God and the word of God, it says it'll keep you from your neighbor's wife or husband from the smooth talk of a wayward woman or man. Isn't that powerful? You know, that's part of destroying people's lives. You know, people who are living in promiscuity, people who are destroying relationships. You know, it's all about conquest. Hey, listen, God wants you to spare you the heartache of all of these things. But sin isn't only what we do, it's also what we don't do. You know, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Think about that statement. You know, the first example that he uses is helping those in need with what we have. Look at what it says here in uh, verse 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later and give it tomorrow when you have it, now have it with you. In other words, if you have the power to do the good thing, just go ahead and do it. Actually, how many are hearing in, in, in the Proverbs, the book of James? It's so powerful. Look what it says. James is wisdom literature. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Such faith, can it save him? In other words, suppose a brother or sister is well at clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need. What good is it? I want to just tell you how to live differently. You know, a lot of us get up in the morning and say, what good thing is God going to bring into my life today? Okay, where's the focus? On ourselves. I'm going to shift the focus off ourselves for a moment. I want us to get up tomorrow morning and say, okay, God, what good thing can I do what good thing, good word of encouragement I can bring? What good blessing can I give? Maybe there's a grumpy person in your office tomorrow and you've just not gotten along with them very well. What good thing can I do to bless that person? What do they like? Oh, yeah, they love that latte from Starbucks. I'll just go pick one up and bring it to them. I'm just throwing you how to think differently. Lord, how can I bless people this week? What are some of the good ways? Every morning I get up and go, God, make me an encouragement. Make me a blesser. Make me, you know, use my life to do something amazing to help other people. Just start thinking that way. Start praying that way. Start living that way. You know what starts happening? You're gonna start getting happy. you know who the unhappy people are? The ones who are focused on themselves. You know who the happy people are? The ones who are focused on others. They're focused on God and others. Just walk around and say, Lord, what can I do to help other people? And just start doing what God's showing you. You're gonna have a blast. Some of you are not that convinced. (laughs) I'm serious, it's fun. It is fun. It is so fun to do neat things for other people. It is. I'm gonna close with this. You know, yeah, it's really neat. You know, we get to go to India. And the church, yeah, they pay for my travels to go to India. as part of our missions budget. But when I get there, I spend money there. You go, why do you spend money there? Because when I get there, the needs are so great in India. It's unbelievable. What you and I consider nothing is a big deal to them. They have nothing, folks. And every year I've gone now, and this year Patty and, uh, and I, we, we've committed to doing this in the last four, five or six years. I can't remember when we started. But Kelly and Marsha were with us, and they go, can we jump in on this too? I said, okay, sure, go ahead. That'll just give me more money to do something else here. But, you know, we, we treat them every year. I, I think they're starting to, I don't know if they know who's doing it, but it just seems like every time we come, they get a treat. So I don't know if they're associating our coming. Maybe that's why they like me coming. I don't know. <laughs> you know. But I, I've, lear- I've learned something. They really like samosas and ice cream and uh, fruit, you know. So we usually buy them four things, a beverage, and so every year we do this. And, you know, you think I was handing them a million dollars. It's so much fun. We get to do this with them. And this only happens about three or four times a year that they get this kind of a treat in their whole existence for the entire year. You know, you and I can go to the store and have an ice cream cone anytime we want to, but they, that's not their life. And so it's so much fun to do things for them and how appreciative they are, how blessed they feel. And you know who feels the best? I always, I'm going, this is so much fun to do. I I just get such a bang out of doing this. So, you know, it's it's in my budget every year. I already know. If I go back to India, we're going to do this, you know. Why? Because I want to bless them. I want to find ways of blessing people. And we need to live like that, folks. Amen? So let me just review really quickly here because I've run out of time and I want to pray with you. Let's just review here. Embrace wisdom. Biblical wisdom is not just an attribute of God. It's a personification of who he is. The Apostle Paul identifies wisdom as the person of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1.30 he says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption. I'm gonna really throw something behind you that really might help you. You know, our holiness is actually Christ. It's not something you and I are doing, it's something that Christ did for us. Christ is my holiness. Christ is my wisdom. Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my redemption. How many are getting a picture, it's not what I'm doing, it's what he did? Isn't that amazing? And so you and I can walk in this wisdom. And what does this wisdom mean? It means I'm learning to trust God day by day and moment by moment. It means I'm learning to find real significance in life and meaning because It comes from an intimacy with God, and it comes from healthy human relationships where there's peace and harmony and joy and delight and hope in relating to one another. It comes as a result of wisdom protecting us from all the damaging effects that sin brings into our world. And so I'm going to encourage us today. We need to embrace wisdom. We need to embrace the person of Jesus. We need to make choices today that says, Lord, I want to just do your will. I just want to do what you want me to do. Let's stand this morning. I want to just ask the question, how many here, you know what, let's just be really honest before God. How many here, you say, you know what, pastor, you know, who cares what people are looking around? This is between you and God. You just say, you know what, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with, there's, there's fears in my life that really come about and they really grip me. Maybe I'm struggling tonight, today or I have been struggling, even with you know, things like sleeplessness or anxious thoughts, and I even have a hard time sleeping at night. My mind is going a 1,000 miles an hour. There's all these things that are going on in my life, but I want to be free from all of that. I want to walk in a, a simple, freeing lifestyle. I want to walk with healthy mental... We you know what we're talking about here? This is how you get healthy mental well-being okay? It's not just accepting the fact that, you know, it's okay to be, you know, have all these issues in our minds. No, I think God wants to deliver us from them. This may be a novel thought to you. God wants to set you free. God wants to give you a freedom in your thought. He wants to bring joy and peace and hope and a freedom from anxiety in your life. He wants to set you free from a lot of these fears that are driving you, all these insecurities and fears that are driving you. You can just say, you know what, God, this is all about my pay grade, I'm not trying to be irresponsible. I'm just going to bring them to you. You know, the Bible says, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You're his kids. You know, if my kids, when they were little, they had a problem, they just came up and said, Hey, dad, this is what's going on in my life. What do you think I did? I went, Oh, that's too bad. Tough luck, kid. You know, no. I I was concerned. I was listening. How can I help them? Don't you think God cares? Of course he does. And so with every head bowed right now, maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, God's speaking to me today. There are fears that are driving my life. There's insecurities in my life. There's anxieties in my life. And I don't want to live with these things, you know, creating all of this destructive, emotional, mental behavior in my soul. I want Jesus to come along and take some of these things, walk me through them, set me free from them. And that's you today. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray right now. I'm gonna ask God to begin to direct our steps and and move us, and maybe we have to start thinking about, you know what, I gotta even start, what am I feeding my brain? You know, maybe I gotta feed it the word of God. Start meditating on this word day and night and allow his word to become activated in my soul. And so, Father, I do come before you with all of our fears, our insecurities, our anxieties, all of our frustrations, Lord, our doubts, And I just pray today, right now, Father, our future, you are there. You're with us every moment. Your word declares to us you would never leave us nor forsake us. That you have a plan for us that you're going to keep us from falling. You're going to keep us from being snared, Lord. You're going to protect us. You're going to watch over us. And yes, there may be moments in our lives when we are being sifted. And it seems it's beyond our ability to handle. But we're recognizing today it's causing us not to rely on ourselves, but to trust you. That we can trust you. You're, the, you're our shepherd. You're the good shepherd. You love us with an everlasting love. And we just want to commit... These things before us, maybe it's our children, maybe it's our finances, maybe it's our health, maybe it's our future, whatever it is that we're tormented about, that we're anxious about, we're fearful about, maybe it's just our inabilities in our own life, maybe we just feel like we're, we're just not able to handle life and be successful, whatever that fear is. Father, I just pray we just take it right now and we just lay it at your feet. We're just laying these things at your feet right now we thank you we thank you that you care we thank you that you're right here right now with us there's a gentleness there's a peace there's a an encouragement that's speaking into our spirit right now you're telling us i can handle that for you i can walk with you through that i'm i'm going to be right there every step of the way strengthen us i pray today father I pray for miracles to be happening in our hearts right now. I pray that attitudes would change. I pray that it would have such an impact it would change the way we relate to you. We trust you at a different level, at a higher level. I pray today it would affect our relationships with each other. We would have a greater sense of value for other people. We would value others. We would be more forgiving, more generous, more gracious, more understanding, more loving. Father, it wouldn't be about our story. It would be about your story among us. It wouldn't just be what's happening to me. It would be what's happening to people around me. Help me to see things the way you see them. Give me the joy of being your servant. Help me to be a vehicle that you're going to use to be a blessing to other people. Help me to be more generous, more forgiving, more understanding than ever before. And I thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.